And so this morning, I want to look at the resurrection story. I think you'd be disappointed if we talked about anything other than that. I was tempted just to mess with you and say, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 2. Uh, but I thought you might leave, and so I didn't want to do that, because I know we've been spending so much time there. So Luke chapter 24, if you do not have your Bibles with you, you can open the Pew Bible there in front of you to page 884, because I think it's so important that you see where these words are coming from. They're not my words, they're God's words, and we're here this morning to worship and glorify God, and so we want to see what He has to say for us. And so uh, the words, or the, the verses we'll be covering this morning generally are uh, 1 through 12, Luke chapter 24, 1 through 12. And God's inspired and inerrant and sufficient word reads, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, Two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He's not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and all of the rest. And now when Mary Magdalene and Joanna and the mother of Jesus, or the mother of James, also the other women with them, were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb and stooping, looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. Father, we just ask a blessing upon the reading of your word. And now with the power of your Holy Spirit, illuminate this text for us. Not only that we understand the resurrection, but we know how it's applicable to each and every one of our lives. And Father, it is only you who knows the heart and knows the mind. It is only you who knows what each and every one of us needs this morning. And so I would invite your spirit, Lord, to open our hearts, to open our minds, to receive what you have for us here this resurrection morning. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I have simply titled this, New Beginning. And one of the main reasons for not believing the resurrection or the Bible as factual is the so-called claim contradictions that we are found within the biblical text. We can acknowledge that there are some discrepancies within the text, but no contradictions. According to one definition I read anyways, the definition of a contradiction was simply this. It consists of a logical incompatibility between two or more propositions. It occurs when the propositions taken together yield two conclusions, which form the logical, usually opposite inversions of each other. Well, that's a long definition to simply say what a contradiction is. And I don't think that I need to remind you this morning of the polarization of 
culture, if you will, of the, at least the past two years and everything that's been going on and everything that has been making up our lives and everything that has been speaking into our lives and everything that's been causing us anxieties and nerves and things like that. We, we, we think about the reporting that's been done. We think about masks, no mask, vaccine, no vaccine. Who wants to talk about any of that stuff? Not me and not, and not you, right? I'm sure of that. Follow the signs, don't follow the signs. Report this, don't report that. There's all kinds of things like that that we can dispute, that we can argue, and that has caused much anxieties among us all. And there are some of these discrepancies. But no matter what we view these discrepancies as or what we choose to believe or not believe, there is one thing that each and every one of us can agree on, and that is that COVID does exist. That we can agree on, maybe on nothing else, but we know there's something floating around, and we may even want to call it that, but there's something floating around that causes us to feel ill. Luke starts, or states his purpose for writing this gospel, for what I just read here this morning. And he starts by saying it in Luke chapter 1, and he starts out and gives his reason. And he says, I have investigated all these things. I have investigated the life of Jesus and everything that is going on within his life. And I have recorded them for you, most excellent Theophilus. He was writing to a specific ruler. And this is why. So that you may know, and I like this, the exact truth. Don't we want to know the exact truth about the things that you have, that we have been taught? Luke is up front specifically why he is writing these things. He's recording his investigation, the investigation process that he had. Matthew records his gospel mostly for a, a Jewish audience. Mark records his, audi- his gospel for, for mostly a, a non-Jewish audience. John is widely known as a universal gospel, meaning it's a bit easier to understand, not written to a specific group of people, but, but to all people. The point of this, any discrepancies that we may find within the biblical text or disclaim the authenticity of the biblical text of the Scriptures, do not change the central meaning of the Scriptures. Do not change the central meaning of the Scriptures. What is the central teaching of the biblical text. The central message of all the Gospels in all 66 books I would offer to you is the saving power of the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. This is the message of Easter. This is the message of the resurrection that Christ has been raised, that Christ has risen from the grave. That is the central teaching of all of Scripture. And if the authors would have collaborated, if they would have conspired to write their gospel accounts in a way to manipulate the public reader, they did a really bad job. Because as every single one of us, as we all know, it's all about your sources. Write any paper, whatever it may be, claim some facts, and it's about naming your source. And disciple, and, the, and the authors of the gospels chose poor sources. They chose women. Now, we know women cannot be trusted. Wow, Easter, really. 
But in that context, right, that was kind of the thought process. And yet each and every one of the gospel writers cites women that came to the news with that. And there's a whole sermon in that and of itself. But it's all to say this, and again, pound on the point that I will all morning, and that is the central message of the Bible is the resurrection of Jesus. Our faith is based upon this event, the resurrection of Jesus. And after 2,000 years, plus or minus, we are still gathering on a Sunday morning just as they did on that first Easter morning to celebrate, to remember, and to worship the risen Lord, that Jesus has indeed risen from the grave. That is why we gather on Sunday mornings, is to remember, remember this event. So what can we learn from what should be a very familiar story to each and every one of us? The challenge of every Easter Sunday is to bring something different, to bring something new. We've heard the Easter story, the resurrection over and over, and many times. What can we learn from this story today in 2020? Well, I have five. I have five headings, and they'll all be short, no worries. They'll all be short topics, short headings, if you will. But I have five, five actions of those who were at the first Easter. And they are verbs, they are actions, and and I'm a a simple man. I'm going to take it right from the text. And there are these five, perplex, seek, remember, tell, marvel. That's what they are. They come right from the text if you're using the NASB. Your translation, if you're not using the NASB, may have something a bit different, but nonetheless, perplex, seek, remember, and tell. This is the process that they went through on that first Easter morning And it's one that I also want to walk us through here this morning. And so we will start with the very first. And that is that the risen Christ may cause us too to become perplexed. Perplexed there is just to be at a loss, to to be amazed, to be in awe of what has transpired, what has happened. Well, what has happened? There is no body in the tomb. That's what has happened. In fact, Luke says in 23, verse 55, just a a chapter earlier, that they physically and literally seen the dead body of Jesus hanging upon the cross and that they literally seen his limp and bloodied and battered body taken off of the cross and laid into this tomb. And they literally seen the tomb being sealed up and they literally seen guards guarding outside of this tomb. And yet here... On this first day of the week that we call Sunday, they get the report that there is no body. In fact, Mark records for us in his version of this story. And he says that as they went to the tomb that first day of the week, that Sunday morning, they were discussing amongst themselves as we seen the heavy stone. We seen this big stone that is laying in front of the tomb. We seen it laying there. We seen the size of it. How are we going to move this stone? How are we going to move it? So there was, without a doubt, they were expecting to find the body of Jesus. And yet here they did not find the body of Jesus. Confusion? Yeah. Failure to understand? Yeah. We too can find ourselves perplexed at times, can we not? We too can find events that happen within our life that may cause us to be a bit confused. 
that may cause us to ponder, that may cause us to wonder, that may, un, that may unsettle our faith for just a moment, as it must have for these first celebrators of Easter so many years ago. That's the first response that we see here this morning that I want to relate us to, and that is the word perplexed, this loss of understanding. The second thing I want you to notice in our text here is is that the risen Christ may cause us to seek. And I know I'm very simplistic this morning, but, but just track with me. The risen Christ may cause us also to seek. And you look at verse 5. And it says that as the women showed up at the tomb, and as they showed up there, they, they bowed their faces to the ground because they seen this figure in dazzling clothes, and that would kind of alarm you just a minute. And, and so they bowed down as has some type of, of, of God-type being. And so as they bowed down there, their faces to the ground, they ask, these beings ask, these angels ask, why do you seek the living one among the dead? Well, it seems kind of like a ridiculous question, but it's not a ridiculous question when they were going there to literally expect to find the body of Jesus there. So it is a really good question. And so as the disciples also went seeking Jesus that Easter morning, that that first day of the week morning, we too find ourselves many times, do we not? We find ourselves seeking also, do we not? We also find ourselves seeking in many different places that lead us to a dead end. We find ourselves searching for meaning, searching for purpose in all the wrong places. We find ourselves trying to give meaning to our situation, give meaning to our life at places that lead to dead ends. All this world has to offer is dead and empty promises. I give you as Exhibit A, Hollywood. I mean, will you think people that would have it all And yet, as the tabloids lay out their story, their life before our very eyes, we see many very unhappy people seeking the living among the dead is also what we do metaphorically many times. It is only in the risen Jesus where we can truly find meaning to life. The disciples understood that. Those going to seek Jesus that Easter morning totally and completely understood that. Matthew 7 tells us that Seek, and you will find. For everyone who seeks, finds. Jeremiah uh, 29, 13, you will seek me when you search me with all your heart. Listen, my friends, if we seek Jesus, truly, openly, authentic, he will reveal himself to us. We will seek, we will find what we are seeking. And the third thing I want to bring out in this text, the third heading I have in this text is that the risen Christ may cause us to remember. May cause us to remember. We have it in verses 6 through 8. In many places, Jesus told his disciples that this was going to take place. Many times, Jesus said exactly what was going to happen, and yet until it happened, did they really believe it? Evidently not. In verse 7, tells us here that The Son of Man, this is what these angels told the first people who showed up at the tomb. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise again on the third day. They were told exactly what was going to happen, and yet when it did happen, they had difficulty in believing it. Acts chapter 2, or I'm sorry, in Luke chapter 22, verse 22, 
we're told there that this was the predetermined plan of God. This is exactly how it was planned to transpire. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, Peter's first sermon after the resurrection, after his encounter with the resurrected Lord, and as he preached his first sermon, he said this, this man, Jesus, delivered over by the predetermined and foreknowledge of God, you nailed him to the cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God, but God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it is impossible for him to be held in its power. This was brought to their remembrance that this was the predetermined plan that they were taught from youngsters of what was going to transpire. And now they are remembering what has happened there. In Luke chapter 24, just a, quite a few verses later of the chapter we're in here, in verse 44, it tells us this, that, that as Jesus was opening their minds to what they had been taught, and he did it with the law of Moses, he did it with, the, with Moses, the prophets, and the law, all of the Old Testament, and from there he opened their minds so that they could understand what was written and so that they could see that this was the predetermined plan of God, that he was to suffer, that he was to rise again on the third day. For what? For the repentance and the forgiveness of sin. It is only there that we can find this, the answers for life. And it is only in the pages of Scripture that we learn about Jesus. It's history. And as we remember, and as the disciples were remembering here, I want to... Also mentioned to you, there are those at times that you maybe find yourself in conversation with. And they want to they want to embrace the, the Jesus that brings them the happiness. Jesus that is that is all about, about love. And we're all about all of those things. And outside the biblical text, we would not know about God as love. Outside the biblical text, we would not know about the love of Jesus. It is only in the biblical text that we read the story of Jesus. And therefore, we cannot pick and choose what the text tells us. The text is either all reliable or maybe none of it is. We cannot pick and choose. And it is only through Scripture where we can be reminded of what Jesus taught, where we can be reminded of how he taught us to live, where we can be reminded of what it looks like to follow this risen Christ. And therefore, also, my fourth heading here is the risen Christ may cause us to tell others. I could simply say may cause us to evangelize. I mean, if they had an encounter with the living God or if you had an encounter with the living God, it will change your life. I often refer to it, and other people will refer to it. You'll hear it said as, as BCAC, right? Before Christ, after Christ. What does your li lo life look like before Christ, and what does your life look like after Christ? It is not recognizable, is it? It should not be. If you look at verse 11, we see that the disciples there, after they heard this story, <laughs> they said, but these words that they were told were as nonsense, were as totally unbelievable to them. In fact, it says that they would not believe them. And this included Peter. And in true Peter fashion, 
Peter doesn't just stop there and leave it there. But Peter gets up in verse 12, and he runs out to the tomb to check things out for himself, as Peter often does. Peter walked on water. Peter proclaimed that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter proclaimed that Jesus, or rebuked Jesus, that Jesus should stop up about talking about going to Jerusalem and dying. Peter is also the one who, de- who declared right before the, the crucifixion and the rest of Jesus that he would never deny Jesus. In fact, he denied Jesus three times. And he was totally taken out, cut down to size by a young girl, by a young servant of the courts. This was the Peter B.C. This was Peter before the risen Christ. And that was before his encounter with the resurrection Lord. If we were to read Luke's other historical account in Acts, there we will see the Peter after his encounter with Jesus, risen from the grave. And there we see a Peter that was unstoppable. There we see a Peter that was of one mind. There we see a Peter that was of one focus. And there we see a Peter who was of one mission. Peter was completely and totally sold out for Christ after He had this encounter with the risen Lord. And I would offer to you also this morning, if you have had an encounter with the risen Lord, you too can understand this story of Peter and how this change occurred in his life. And the last and final heading that I have here is the risen Christ may cause us to marvel. Peter did. He went home marveling. Peter had more than just his reputation on the line. Peter was wondering what was happening. If you think about the life of Peter and the other disciples also, Peter had left it all to follow someone that he thought was the Christ, and yet this someone finds himself hanging upon a Roman cross and in a tomb and now evidently gone somewhere. He could not know. He went home to give it some thought. Peter was at a crossroad. Peter found himself at a crossroad. Life has thrown Peter a curveball. Can you relate? Life has thrown Peter a curveball. Peter marveled. Peter was amazed. How could it be? You know, often we become so amazed with what Christ has done. But I just want you to be really honest with yourself, and I just want you to be really honest with each other, right? I mean, as we think about life sometimes, God, I left all. I left everything. I have done. How could this happen? I thought dot, 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 dot. We thought we had life figured out. We thought we had life planned out. And life throws us a curveball. What then do we do? How then do we respond? And I would offer you, Peter, maybe we too need to go home at times and just marvel. That just ponder that just think it through think it through and you may have noticed this morning that I've used the word word may I use the word may here because I'm not sure where you are this morning I'm not sure where you are in life and I'm not sure what your relationship is with Christ I'm not sure if you have fully surrendered your life to Christ You may be here thinking, and I don't believe any of that stuff. I don't believe any of what you're saying. I don't believe anything what the Bible says. I don't believe any of the stuff about Jesus rising from the dead. I don't believe any of that. That's maybe where you are this morning. And if that's where you are, 
you need to be honest with yourself. It's okay to have some of those thoughts. It's okay to seek. It's okay to discern. It's okay to ask questions. That's maybe where you are this morning, and that's a great place to start is by asking questions. I love the quote by Albert Einstein. He doesn't listen to people with the answers. He listens to people with the questions. I love that quote because that's the only way I function is with questions. But if you're questioning this morning, I would invite you to continue questioning, continue seeking, continue asking. In Acts chapter 17, it does tell us that God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through Jesus, whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men. What? What was the proof? By raising him from the grave. The resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate proof of the truth of the gospel. In fact, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that if Christ has not been raised, we are in vain. Our faith is worthless. Our faith, everything we believe, everything we hope for, everything we hinge our future, eternal future upon is upon the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrected life of Jesus, right? Everything hinges upon that this morning. And so this morning, this Easter morning, you find yourself once again, and you do, every Easter we find ourselves here. We find ourselves standing before the open tomb. And this morning, I again found myself, my mind is always drawn here every Easter. Once again, we find ourselves standing before the open tomb. And you might have stood at this place over and over and over and again. And I would invite you to stand here again this morning. You must give an answer to why that tomb is empty. You must give an answer as to, has Jesus' body been stolen? Has he indeed risen from the grave? But you cannot go without answering that question, and a non-answer is an answer. Every single person finds themselves here every Easter morning, if not any other time, but they do on Easter morning. And you are there this morning. And Romans 10, 9 tells us that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and what? And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Everything hinges upon the resurrection. And if you're here this morning and you've not given much thought to the question, but you have now, you have now, and you must also answer this question once more. Yes. It's real simple. Yes. I believe Jesus is risen from the tomb. No. I believe he is still dead. Those are the only two options that you have this morning, and it is for you to answer that question. And I would invite you to answer that question in the affirmative this morning. But I I suspect that many of you already have. And so you may be here this Easter morning wondering, as you have believed for a long time, and you've heard the story over and over again of the, the resurrected Lord, what does it have for you this morning? And that is the question that was laying on my desk all week, and I'm not sure I necessarily have the answer. What? does the resurrection mean to me this morning? And what can it mean for for you this morning? And so first off, I pray that it helps you to remember. Remember and to renew your confidence in your faith in Christ. Just really that simple, right? To just again say, yes, Lord, 
This is why I believe. Yes, Lord, this is why I function and do the things that I do. And the second thing I would ask you is just to, to marvel, just to renew a reminder that just like Peter, our hope is not in ourselves. Your hope is not in yourself because I suspect if you look over the past year, there's some things that you would prefer to forget. There were some things that you would prefer nobody would know about. And there are some things that maybe you have done, said, or thought that you wonder, how can I even be saved? Well, I want you to know that this morning, that just like Peter, you can't be saved of your own. It is in Christ alone, in faith alone, by grace alone, as revealed by Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. You cannot save yourself. It is only the risen Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit, that can save you. So I hope you have that. But I, I, one other thing, and that is I was thinking about, again, what can it mean for you and I in this idea of a new beginning? And I thought about New Year's a long time ago. And every New Year's, we have this big deal of making these New Year's resolutions, right? And then we break them within the first hour after midnight, or maybe that's just me. Um, Right? And we have birthdays, we have anniversaries, and we knew these vows and things such as that. What if every Easter, as Christians, we would once again remember that the tomb is empty, remember that our faith is hinged upon this event? And as a, as a friend, uh, as, as a long-distance friend of mine likes to say, our faith is hinged not on a book but on an event, but it is only in the book that I like to say that you hear about the event. Our, our faith is hinged upon an event. And so every Easter, what if we just had a new beginning and say, God, I'm once again going to lay these burdens down, and once again I'm going to depend upon nothing but the power of your resurrection to face the year, to face the rest of the year that is before us. And to once again just take these words and to be perplexed, to be amazed at what God has done in your life. And to continue to seek his will and his direction for you. To remember where you have been. To remember when he has saved you and where he has saved you from. And to get excited once again to tell others about what he has done for you. And then just to marvel. Just to admire. Just to be amazed. And just to wonder that Jesus, the founder and the author of our faith, yes. But Jesus, this Jesus, the creator of the universe, this Jesus who has created everything that there is and will be and has been, this Jesus loves you enough that he would completely and fully lay down his life for you so that you can have eternal life, a renewed life, a life of fulfillment, a life of happiness, a life that brings meaning and purpose. I pray that this Easter be new beginning. Maybe you've never had that first beginning. Take that first step. But if you have, to once again a new beginning of a renewed faith of why it is that you say you believe what it is that you say you believe. Father, I thank you for Easter. I thank you for the resurrect, your resurrected body, for your resurrected being, for the great exchange we gave you the wrath that we deserved to receive the love, the righteousness that we did not deserve, but you gave it to us. And, Father, as we reflect upon where we were 
last Easter and everything that has transpired between it. Help us not to focus on it much, but help us to take stock, to do a little reflecting, and then look forward to the year that is ahead of us, to the time that is ahead of us as we once again realize that, no, you don't even ask us to do it on our own, and we cannot even possibly do it on our own, but it is through the power of your defeating the grave that the last enemy has indeed been defeated. And in that, Lord, it can give us a new beginning. It can give us hope. It can give us meaning for life. It can help us fulfill our purpose, all for your honor and all for your glory. We love you. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.